The Chet Kavik Podcast Network. Welcome to Sports Cars, a podcast where Chicago sports broadcasting pioneer and a national legal expert get into the legal goings of sports. And now your hosts, Chet Kavik and Lester Munson. Hi, we have Tiger Woods on the agenda. Naturally, we have uh, Ari Fleischer, former uh, White House press secretary on the agenda. I'm Chad Kopic, along with ESPN legal expert Lester Munson, welcoming you once again to uh, Sports Cart, brought to you by our great friends at American Taxi, the finest suburban taxi service in the entire Chicagoland area. When you're thinking about O'Hare Field, when you're thinking about Midway Airport, perhaps you're thinking about taking a loved one to a hospital, whatever the case may be, when you need outstanding, courteous taxi service, there is only one way to go, and that is American Taxi. All right, Lester, we could sit here and talk about the highs, the lows of uh, Tiger Woods' press conference down at uh, Sawgrass until we're blue in the face. I say bravo, bravo, golf riders, for boycotting the event. It, it was a wonderful surprise to learn that when Tiger Woods and his agent, the obnoxious Mark Steinberg, set up this uh, event today, they said to the golf riders, you can send three people uh, along with the three wire services. And the golf rider said, well, it's not a press conference. We're not interested. And they have totally boycotted the event. I'm with you. Bravo is exactly the right reaction. These guys are showing some journalistic instincts. They're showing they're not going to go along with Tiger's propaganda effort. Good for them. Good for All right, them. Uh, now, I, I will say this. I found this to be somewhat uh, unusual and somewhat strange. Uh, Tiger, as we all know, is uh, uh, not biracial. He is multiracial. Now, Lester, we're watching it on television at my uh, beloved home away from home, the East Bank Club. <laughs> I did not see an African-American in the audience. I thought for certain that there would be a Jesse Jackson, there would be some African-American of note. Michael Jordan, for example. I did not see an African-American, and quite frankly, if I were black, I would be offended. It is very ironic that Tiger Woods, when he came into golf and his father was still around, their message was, we are going to open up this sport beyond the white folks at the country club. And now what do we have? We have Tiger Woods hiding at Sawgrass, the most exclusive of all white folks golf clubs, in order to make his apology. He has come all the way around the circle, and is now, now he has become beyond a caricature of himself. All right, uh, what's the over-under now uh, on Tiger Woods playing golf again? My, my gut says, and uh, Tiger said he, he thought he might play golf this year as he returns to uh, uh, continue treatment for his sexual addiction. My gut says he'll play one warm-up event. Tiger Woods, the personality, Tiger Woods, the human being, Lester, he can't live without playing the Masters. It would kill him. I would think that he has to play the Masters. If he passes up the Masters, then I would think uh, he is showing some level of recognition and sincerity of what has gone on here that none of us ever expected to see uh, from him. I would have thought that today he would say, I will play one tournament. There's that tournament where the, the fans get in by invitation only. Right. He could have gone there. He could have which, then which gone. Which means no booing. Exactly. No cheers. Yeah. And all white audience. Right. And the, um, 
and then play the Masters. I would have thought he would have announced that today. The Masters is less than two months away. Uh, if he is going to be playing the Masters, they have to start getting ready now. Where is he going to stay? How are they going to hide him from a media frenzy? How are they going to handle people on the golf course? It'll be a different kind of Masters if he's there. He at least should have the courtesy to tell somebody what he's doing. I mean, can you imagine what it'll be like for Hootie Johnson and the guys who run the run the the, the tournament? <laughs> Augusta, the guys, the guys, you know, who who stood up and said, "No women in our country right. club." Right. You know, we'd rather let Satan, we'd rather let Osama bin Laden in our country right. club right. before we allow a woman on the on the premises. Can you just imagine? I mean, these guys are so prim and proper, and just scream Barry Goldwater Republican politics. What is going to be like when they welcome? Noted uh, noted skirt chaser Tiger Woods in for the Masters. And they have 41 satellite trucks parked on the streets of Augusta. Can't you just see it? Yeah, all the, of a sudden, all of a sudden, Mary Hart and Entertainment Tonight want to be credentialed right. for the Masters. Right. <laughs> yes. Never before interested in the sport of golf on any level. Uh, not even what... Uh, this, this is going to be something. And if he's going to show up there... And they they need to start preparing probably the first of January, so they're already behind schedule. I, maybe he's not going to play the Masters. I, I know what you're saying when you say he needs that tournament; it's part of his life. Maybe not. You know what? You're onto something. If he doesn't play the Masters, in the eyes of the public, that would be the ultimate statement of contrition. That would be that would be 300 hail marys. For all my fellow Catholic brothers, if he didn't play the Masters. I don't have any doubt about it. If he gave that up, that would be the kind of sacrifice that maybe would be another step down the road to some level of public acceptance. Never what he had before, but at least some level of calming things down so he can resume life on the tournament circuit. Again, you know, watching uh, the conference, uh, this didn't surprise me, but I was taken aback by, by the emphasis that he placed on really protecting Elon and uh, criticizing, maintaining that there was no physical confrontation with Elon whatsoever. And if you uh, believe that, I've got a swell used car joint over on Western Avenue where with good credit, bad credit, no credit at all, you know, you can walk out with a brand new Cadillac. How does he explain the, how does he explain the broken window in the Escalade? She swung the wedge at him and she missed by the width of one car window. But, Taking protecting the wife is one of the great American traditions. Exactly. Richard Nixon did it in the Checkers speech. I am going to let my wife keep her good Republican cloth coat. We're going to keep the dog Checkers that was given. I don't care what anybody says. My, and Bar- my daughter has always wanted a puppy. <laughs> and Barack Obama did it with Michelle during the campaign in 2008 when people were coming after her with a lot of unreasonable assertions. And now uh, Woods and his management picked up on one of the great themes here. Now, once again, what's interesting is, and I was unaware, you told me that even with Tiger Woods at the apex of his career, the Nike golf division, which people think is churning out money, has in fact been red ink for Phil Knight and the people in, uh, in Oregon. If you work at Nike and the senior management tells you you're being transferred to the golf division, that is time for you to leave Nike. It is a graveyard of careers at Nike. It was in the tank before 
we heard about Rachel Uchatel before the Enquirer started all of this, and the the woman who is the president of that division right now, I am sure she is looking for her next gig. All right, uh, let's change gears for a moment. Uh, how how laughable do you find it uh, that uh, Ari Fleischer, who uh, used to uh, hold hands every day with uh, just wonderful people, George Bush, <laughs> Dick Cheney, Carl Rove, I mean, the kind of guys that you'd love to go hunting with or maybe, you know, have a beer with, <laughs> go to a Cub game with, is now, hello, <laughs> running the image campaign for Mark McGuire. <laughs> uh, Ari Fleischer left the Bush administration at a time when he could have stayed and helped them. They were getting into big trouble. Instead of helping them out, he leaves. And we all knew he was a serious baseball fan. As he was in the White House, I think that was well known to everybody. Now he is signing up these amazing clients. Mark McGuire, imagine what the Cardinals and McGuire are paying him to try to oh. repair that damage. Oh. And he's got the Bowl Championship Series, which is under attack from about nine different fronts. He is defending all of those. And I, I must say, as a spin doctor, he he is a good one. He returns calls. He keeps track of what's going on. But Mark McGuire, can, can he not say no to a client, I mean, what, you got to learn how to say no to the certain clients. Lester, uh, this may shock people. I would not be surprised if Fleischer, if Fleischer is running an annual retainer of over a half million bucks with the St. Louis Cardinals to take care of Mark McGuire and orchestrate the return of Mark McGuire, which, by the way, included one of the more laughable lines I've ever heard in my life when uh, McGuire showed up at Cardinal Camp in Jupiter the first day and said. Um, I hope that very shortly this is all behind me. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you big lug, this will, that w- when you die for heaven's sakes, your obit's going to read, Mark McGuire, home run slugger and admitted steroid user. Right. This is never going to go away. No. No, that's exactly right. Uh, he obviously has no comprehension of how these things work or don't work. <laughs> it's going to continue. Chet, I wouldn't be surprised if Major League Baseball, the commissioner's office, is in on this. Selig did not object to McGuire coming back. He's trying to put the steroid era behind baseball. This might be some goofball strategy that they came up with, and they could easily be uh, the ones who hired Fleischer. They've used him before, and it may be a joint partnership of the Cardinals and Major League Baseball paying Fleischer to try to manage this. What are your thoughts when you hear that the Milwaukee Brewers are going to erect a seven-foot statue <laughs> of Bud Selig? <laughs> Outside of Miller Park, and I, and I, as you know, Bud, Bud is a friend of mine. I oh, like he's, Bud. He's a likable. Guy. I, I, I admire the fact that he has raised and elevated uh, Major League Baseball's revenues beyond the wildest dreams of George Steinbrenner and Jerry Reinsdorf. But there, there is something about a seven-foot statue of Bud Selig outside of Miller Park that that strikes me as being. Uh, shall we say, major league inappropriate? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it may well be. I, I was surprised to hear that. I was surprised to, the, to know that he would even go along with that. He is not an ego-driven guy. He's a really no. nice guy. Uh, you cannot help but like him. And uh, my guess is he is a little bit embarrassed about that. It's never going to rank with my favorite statue, however. My favorite statue is the 10-foot statue of Buddy Holly in Lubbock, Texas. It's the only reason to go to Lubbock. Absolutely. You know what? (laughs) Lester, (laughs) I've been in Lubbock, Texas twice in my life, both times for basketball games at uh, Texas Tech. It's the world capital of uh, of wind-blowing dust, as you know, an ugly cactus. The reason Buddy Holly wrote Maybe Baby and... uh, 
all his other great songs, he did that for one obvious reason. I'm convinced he looked at that time when he was acne ridden at the age of 12 and said, I gotta get the hell out of here. And what can I do? Is player. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. The, uh, but the statue of Bud Selig, I, I, I would think, I mean, I, I know him a little bit, not as well as you do, but I would think he's a little bit embarrassed about that. You I know, hope uh, he is. And I think he It's is. funny because here is a guy who is the commissioner of Major League Baseball making over $10 million annually, and he still goes to the same Dairy Queen every day and has a cheeseburger and a milkshake yeah. for lunch, yeah. and yeah. he's the commissioner of Major League Baseball. You know, and can, he you wears, imagine, can you imagine Roger Goodell doing that? Not a, No, oh, no. No, 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 no. Never. The uh, And he walks around in the suits and the blue blazer that he buys from the wrong size counter at a triple discount store. Here's a guy who could have the tailor come to his office. He has never no, had a tailor-made no. suit in his life. And, and then he's and he's the guy working for these owners who are all wearing $5,000 worth of stuff every time they show up. Um, let's take a long look at the Cubs and the fact that they have uh, browbeaten the legislature out in Arizona into building them a brand-new facility to keep the ball club from uh, drifting over to... Uh, Naples, Florida. Uh, this is dividing along uh, a number of lines. And I would like to say, Jerry Reinsdorf, you have a point. But, Jerry, uh, while you complained about the Cubs and the, uh, and the surcharge being, uh, uh, being uh, placed on all tickets purchased for games in the Cactus League, Jerry, you held the city of Chicago hostage until Thompson found money back in 1989. The public paid for your ballpark in Glendale, so with all due respect, shut the bleep up. Yeah, I, I don't know where, how he possibly has standing to do that. He, the only reason he's even getting involved in this is he knows that if that tax comes into effect and all of it goes to the Cubs, then he won't be able to get any when he wants it. So pr- probably this is a negotiating posture. If you're taxing everybody $0.08, cents, per ticket or whatever it is, 8%, then give some to the other teams too. But I, I Mesa, 400,000 people, it, it's a powerful political force there in the Valley of the Sun, and they're probably going to pull this off. Lester, the bottom line is really this. The Cubs are so viable and so important to the economy out in that area of Mesa, Glendale, Scottsdale, you know, Yuma, the whole nine yards. They can't afford to lose the Cubs. I mean, there there is a spin-off effect. I have friends who go out every year to watch the Cubs in training camp, but they'll drift over to other sites on the second or third day to watch a ball game with, with two teams from the American League West. And whenever the Cubs play at the other ballparks against the Giants or the Diamondbacks or whoever it is, attendance goes up. Exactly. They, the attendance at Cub games is 4,000 more per game compared to all the other teams, even defending champions. When the White Sox uh, came back after the World Series, the Cubs are still outdrawing them uh, in Arizona. Uh, that being said, right now, the early days of the Ricketts administration, uh, Right now, I would say that in the eyes of the public, they've been about as successful and heartwarming as Obama with his health care plan. <laughs> in other words, a total bust. They, they, they certainly have been trying hard. I think they have the welfare of the team at heart. But, boy, they have had some, some, uh, some things happen along the way here. The, the increase in the ticket prices... Uh, it was not a big surprise, but... But shameful. Shameful yeah, for first-year yeah, ownership. Yeah, they, they could easily wait a year on that. The, to, to make the confrontation with Mesa 
over Florida. I'm not, that could have waited. I'm sure you could sign up for one more year with Hoho Camp. That's a perfectly good facility as it is now. I don't know what else right. you need. I, they got eight different ball fields. The stadium where they play the games is, is a perfectly good little stadium. I love going there. I, they probably could have come in a little less aggressively. To put it mildly. <laughs> yeah. To put it mildly. Exactly. exactly. You know, uh, Lester, I, I, I dare say right now that five years from now, people will say to themselves, the Tribune Company wasn't all that bad in comparison <laughs> to Ricketts. I, I just have a feeling that the Ricketts family, now that they've got control of this ball club, the, these young kids these young kids now see themselves as uh, uh, authoritarian power who look at the uh, look at the fans for really what they are, and that is sacrificial lambs. I mean, for heaven's sakes, I was watching WGN News this morning, and it's 19 degrees outside, and there's Ronnie Woo Woo, and you know all these uh, all these people who just can't wait for opening day buying buying Cub tickets. And I I don't think the Ricketts people look at these people as being great fans. They go, you know what? We have a collection of suckers. Right. Let's raise the ticket prices. We can still draw three million, and we can do it for twenty dollars more. Per ticket, so there's there's upper deck seats now that are seventy five dollars. You know, there it, it's seventy five yeah. bucks for an upper deck and, seat and to you're watch in the Cubs 10. against yeah. to watch the Cubs against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Right, the, that's that seven table dances at the Admiral Theater. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of it quite that way. That's a, that, that. There you measure the economy. All right, uh, <laughs> and with that, we uh, bid you a pleasant farewell on uh, Sports Court on behalf of uh, Lester Munson. The uh, Outstanding, nationally recognized uh, legal expert from ESPN. I'm Chad Kopik. We'll catch you in seven days. So long, everybody.